This morning I get the privilege of sharing God's Word with you from the book of 1 John. As has been mentioned, Pastor Andrew is not feeling well. He is online and watching. But uh, I get the privilege of sharing God's Word with you. And at this time, I'd like for the ushers, if they would, to come forward to uh, help you. If you don't have an outline, if you'll just slip up your hand, it's going to be important for you to get an outline in your hand. I know I'm giving Pastor Andrew a run for his money. It's a four-pager. But uh, I remind you, the first sermon I preached here, it was a four-pager. So I'm back to my old ways, I guess. But I'm looking forward to the opportunity of sharing God's Word with you and specifically talking about confidence and compassion in prayer. Now, it's interesting, as I began to study this passage which is the next passage to preach right after um, Eric Spee preached last week, that once again, I'm coming to talk about prayer. The last time I was here in this pulpit on the Sunday morning, I was talking about Jesus' pattern on prayer. So God is definitely teaching me something about prayer, and I hope that through me, as we share God's Word together, God will teach you about prayer as well. Before we begin to study the passage of Scripture this morning, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we have sung great truths from your word. And Lord, today we are mindful of how you have given your son Jesus as a perfect sacrifice for our sin. And Lord, it is a song to sing. It is a joyous, joyous thought to be able to sing praises to you. And Lord, now as we look into your word, we know that you say about your word, your word is living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword. And so God, today I pray that your word would penetrate our hearts, that your word would help us to really get a clear picture of our standing with you. Lord, I pray that today, as we look in your word, that, God, we would not just be merely hearers of the word, but we would put your word into practice. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we look at God's word this morning, I invite you to look at the top of the page there, and you see that we're talking about 1 John 5, and we're going from verses 13 to 17. Now, as you know, as regular practice in the life of our church, We take the word systematically. We preach systematically through books. And today, we are looking at the book of 1 John 5. And really, what we find here in 1 John 5 is an instructive passage for us, really reminding us of foundational truths. Now, it's important for us to be reminded of these foundational truths. You may go to meetings, and in meetings, I have the privilege of meeting with many of you. I'm currently meeting with a young man in third grade. I just finished meeting with a couple that's about to get married. And I also met with another couple that were, that were interested in joining our church and will be presented soon. And it's interesting, in each one of these meetings, as I go through and begin to share God's Word with them, how God reminds me of foundational truths that I need to be reminded of time and time and time again. Why? Because I'm quick to forget. Anybody else feel that way? 
quick to forget. And so today, as we look at this passage, it's really laying out for us some foundational truths about prayer, about how we can have confidence in our prayer, how we should be compassionate in our prayers for the saints as well. And so as we look at this passage, I pray that God would speak to us. Follow along with me as I read the passage, 1 John 5, 13 through 17. John writes, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. Verse 17. All wrongdoing, some translations actually use the word unrighteousness, all wrongdoing is sin. But there is sin that does not lead to death. Now you may say, why in the world did we start with verse 13 Leading into the rest of this passage. Well, I think verse 13 is foundational for us. 1 John 5.13 details the purpose for John's writing of the book of 1 John. You know, John does this also in the book of John itself. In chapter 20, verses 31, uh, sorry, 30 and 31, he lays out for us the purpose behind the book of John. And here... He lays out for us the purpose behind the book of 1 John. You see, John is writing this book, and Eric Spee reminded, this la- reminded us of this last week, that he's writing the book of 1 John not to believer, unbelievers, I should say, but to strengthen believers through the assurance of salvation. And John writes verses 14 through 17, for his readers to be confident in petitioning the Lord and to be compassionate in interceding for others. So as we think about this passage, really verse 13 is helping us to get a running start as we go into the rest of this passage. Verse 13, there's some key words that we see there. In verse 13, it's also stated the same words in verse 15. And then also there's another key word that we come to in verse 14, which is where we're really going to focus in on verse 14. The word that John uses in 1 John 5, 13 is the word know. These things are written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may, it's underlined on your paper, know that you have eternal life. That word know is an interesting word. It's a word that we need to understand. It's a word that we need to get a grasp of. It's a word that carries with it the idea of perfect knowledge. It's knowledge that we fully know. It's not something that we're growing into. It's something that we come to know and know fully. 
usually when I'm speaking with people about this verse, and by the way, I use this verse oftentimes when I'm witnessing to talk about what the Bible has to say and why the Bible is written so that we can know that we have eternal life. Well, when I'm witnessing to someone, I say this word no is a, no, a, a 100% no. It's a full knowledge. It's as if we had President Biden walk in the room and you see President Biden and you know him, but he doesn't know you. Well, that's not the word no that's used here. The word no that's used here is as if Pastor Andrew was to walk in this room. You know him and he knows you. You know each other fully. And that's the idea that we have here in this word no. And it's used not only in verse 13, as I said, but twice in verse 15. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But the other word that's very important for us as we think about a key term is the word confidence. Verse 14 says, and this is the confidence. And the word confidence actually means here boldness that grants freedom of access and speech. Now the example that I would give you is this. A child coming to their father. A child coming to their father by nature or virtue of their relationship, the child is able to come to the father and the father readily welcomes the child to speak to them. There is a freedom of access, a freedom to speak with the child. Well, here this word confidence is used and it's used to give us the understanding that, that we have a boldness toward him. We have a freedom to ask of him as, when we ask according to his will. Now this word is used, this confidence word is used throughout the book of First John. And I mentioned some verses here. It's actually used four times in the book of First John. And look at some of these, because I want you to really pay attention. I put the references on your paper, but the words are actually on the screen. And now, little children, this is 1 John 2, 28. And now, little children, abide in me, so that when he appears, we may have confidence, not shrink from him in shame at his coming. So we have a confidence we have a, a boldness that when Christ returns, we have a boldness. Why? Because of abiding in Him. Look also with me at 1 John chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before the Lord. A pure heart, right? If our heart doesn't condemn us, we have confidence access to the Lord. Verse 22, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. It's also used though in 1 John 4, 17. Again, thinking about the second coming, look at what it says. By this is love perfected in us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. So again, the idea of confidence. 
In our verse today, as we look at this verse in verse 14 of 1 John 5, notice, and this is the confidence. Circle that word confidence because it's very important that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now, if you were to just take this verse and you were to drop out some of the phrases there, the verse would read like this. And this, going back to this slide there, and this is the confidence. He hears us. Do you see it? And then there's two statements there to really build off of. First, that we have toward him. We have a confidence toward him. And secondly, that if we ask anything according to his will. And that's really where we're going to split off and look at these two statements. So confidence is not based in us. Let me state this very clearly. Confidence, our confidence, is based in God and Him alone. So the first point I want you to see is this. Confidence in prayer is grounded in a proper relationship with God. It's grounded in a proper relationship with God. So we can be confident because of trusting in and relying upon Jesus as, as Eric Spee reminded us last week, Yahweh saves. It's a confidence in what God did in sending Jesus for our sin. One of the ways I would like you to think about this is this way. Think about Jesus as a key. If I were to take you into a room with a metal door and shut the door, cinder block walls, and shut you in the door, and lock the door on the outside, and the only way you could get out is if you had the key, I want you to think about Jesus as being the key. Our confidence in prayer is grounded in the proper relationship with God because of what Jesus has done for us. Look at 1 John 5, verses 11 and 12. These are the verses immediately preceding verse 13 that we talked about here. And this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life. And this life is in His Son. Again, verse 12 lays it out even more clear. It says, he, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And so 1 John 5.13 reminds us of this assurance that we have in that these things are written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you can know, you can have perfect knowledge and security of eternal life. You see, we have toward Him. Jesus is the key. So the points that I wanted you to see out of this are this, are these. Because of Christ, God gives his grace to his children. Look at what 2 Corinthians 5.21 says. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, 
so that we, so that in him, sorry, we might become the righteousness of God. You see, God gives us grace because of Christ. Christ took on our sin and we received his righteousness. You see the important piece there? The key is Jesus. The second point I want you to see is this. In Christ, God provides a reconciler between himself and his children. A reconciler. Well, 1 Timothy chapter 2 says this for us. It doesn't use the word reconciler. It uses the word mediator. One and the same. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And look at what verse 6 says. Who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. You see, Jesus is the reconciler. Jesus is the mediator. Jesus is the go-between between us and God. John 14 tells us, Jesus said in verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. But also, I want you to note, it's through Christ that God grants bold access to himself. Through Christ. Hebrews tells us this in Hebrews 4, 15, and 16. Notice what it says. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now notice verse 16. And notice the bold part that I put on the paper there. Let us then with confidence, same word, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So we have confidence. Again, grounded in a proper relationship with Jesus. And Scripture confirms that God hears the prayers of those who are right with Him. Listen, I told you right from this very verse, verse 14, that we're looking into. If you drop out the phrases, the clauses there, what you find is the confidence. And this is the confidence that He hears us. But the Scriptures also testify to this. Look at Psalm 34, verses 15 through 17. It says, The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and His ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. And notice verse 17. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. So we see it in the Old Testament as well as what we see in 1 John, but it's also reiterated in one other place. In 1 Peter three twelve. look at what it says. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. 
So we have confidence in prayer. That's grounded in our relationship, our proper relationship with God. But we also have confidence in prayer that is connected to the proper understanding of God's will. Right back on verse 14, what we find is that this is the confidence, one, that we have toward Him in our relationship toward Him. But secondly, that if we ask anything according to His will. And friends and family, this is very important. Because if we were to just jump into verse 15, which some do, it sounds like, okay, it's a name it, claim it. I'll name whatever I want and God will grant it. But verse 14 gives us a qualifier there that's very important. A proper understanding of God's will. We can be confident because of an attentiveness to pray His revealed will. An attentiveness. And let me just say, how do we know what His revealed will is? Well, if a proper relationship with God, the key to that is Jesus. A proper understanding of God's revealed will, the key to that is obviously Scripture. And so what is God's revealed will? Well, we could spend weeks upon weeks upon weeks looking at God's revealed will through Scripture. But I've summarized here four revealed will, four times the Lord reveals His will for us. And so I invite you to look here. What is God's revealed will? First, God's revealed will is for men to be saved. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord's, Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The Lord desires for men to be saved. So that's one of the revealed Aspects of the revealed will of the Lord. So for us to pray in accordance with His will is pleasing to Him. But secondly, notice, also, it's for men to be just and righteous. Men to be just and righteous. Look at Psalm 33, verse 5. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. God loves righteousness and justice. And his desire is for that to be shown or to be seen. But for believers, there's also a revealed, an aspect of his revealed will here for us as well. It's that believers... Be spirit-filled. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 tells us this, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But listen, but be filled with the Spirit. So God desires for His followers to be filled with the Spirit. And if we pray in accordance with God's desire... We are praying His will. But there's also one other place I would point out to you, and that's this. God 
His revealed will is for believers to be sanctified. For believers to be sanctified. And it's very clearly spelled out for us in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. Look, it doesn't get any more clear than this, correct? For this is the will of God. What? Your sanctification. That you abstain from sexual morality. And it continues with other things to abstain from. But this is the will of God for you. If you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, it's that you become more like Him. That you grow in sanctification. That you become like Jesus. And you know what? When we pray for the Lord... When we pray for God's will to be done, the truth to it all is that it is what is best and he receives glory from it. So it's clear. It's clear that we should pray the Lord's will. But then, if you'll notice up at the top of the next page, I ask the question, why pray God's will? What's the value of praying God's will? Well, first, it is correct to pray according to His will. Why would I say that? Well, I take you back to the sermon I preached on Jesus on prayer. And in the model prayer that He gives there, he makes this statement in Matthew 6, 10. He says, pray this way, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, this is how Jesus instructed us to pray. And by the way, he not only instructed us to pray that way, he also set that example for us when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? And he said... Lord, let this cup pass from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. So not only did he give us the example in his life, but he instructed us to pray in this way. But also, let me just say this, it is wise to pray according to his will. It's wise. Why would I say that? Well, Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says this. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that your testing may discern what the will, what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You know, if we're going to pray anything, it's good for us to pray things that are good, acceptable, and perfect, right? Danny Ekinen speaking about this passage, he said this, and let me tell you, I agree. He said, God's will may be different than what you want, but it's always better than you want. Think about that. Think about that. That is why it's wise to pray God's will. In the box, it says this, our confidence is in what Christ has done and what he desires. So what Christ has done and what he desires, these are the bases or basis of our compassion 
for others. So the confidence that we have in approaching the throne of grace because of Jesus, it is what helps us to be compassionate for others, to intercede for others. So the next point you see there, compassionate prayer flows from concern. Going back up, look at verse uh, 16. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. Verse 16, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin. You see, intercede for your brother in habitual sin. Intercede. Intercede for him. Now, you may not pick this up in the English language, but what you find is that where it says, if anyone sees his brother committing sin, or committing a sin, the way that's worded is actually a habitual, continuing sin. And notice the prayer. The ask is that God would give him life. So we ask for God to give him life. And let me just say, out of concern for your brother, you pray for your brother because of what God has done for you. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is Colossians 1, 13 and 14. And it says this, He, this is talking about Christ, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. So not only do we have deliverance, we have transferring take place. And I've used this illustration with the youth before, and I would use this with you as well, as you think about being transferred. Imagine you're three miles offshore. I don't know about you guys, but if I'm three miles offshore and if I'm in the water, I'm done. Because there's no way I'm swimming back. There may be some of you in here that are able to do so. And imagine that I am at the end of my rope. I'm worn out. I can only bob so long. And I'm going down. But then imagine that you see the Coast Guard helicopter that we see oftentimes take off and going and then coming back. Imagine you see the Coast Guard helicopter coming over and sending the diver down to pick you up out of the water putting you back in the helicopter and then bringing you back to the shore and bringing you back to safety. When we think about that idea in, he, in, in Corinthians, I'm sorry, Colossians 1.13, where it says he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, he pulls us out of our hopeless, helpless situation and transfers us into safety, into the kingdom of his beloved Son. So, friends, you can pray for your believer because of what God has done for you. God has rescued you. And we can pray that for our brother as we see him committing sin. But also, we can pray for our brother. You pray for your brother because of your love for your brother. Listen. There are some specific ways that we could pray for our brother in accordance with God's will. 
One, we can pray that God would remind our brother or sister of the gospel. That we were dead in our trespasses and sin, but God made us alive in Christ. We can pray for our brother in that regard. But we can also pray that our brother would cease from sinful behavior. Pray for a sinful behavior to cease. Look right here in verse 16. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he should ask and God will give him life. The brother will cease from sin and turn to life. The picture we have there is a scripture, scriptural word of repentance. Repentance, turning from where from death and turning to life, turning to Christ. And another way that we could pray for our brother is pray for God to help him stand. I didn't put this on the paper because I didn't want to go to five pages. But 1 Corinthians 10.13 is a great verse. If you don't already know it, a great verse for you to memorize. Because it says this, For no temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. And God is faithful. And will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear, but with the temptation will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Friends, we can pray for our brother to see the way out so that he can stand up under the temptation. That's praying for your brother in a way that would honor and glorify the Lord. That's praying for your brother in a way that would love your brother. And the third point I have there is this. You pray for your brother because of your covenant commitment. If you're here and you're a covenant member of Sheridan Hills Baptist Church, we sit with you in your pastoral interview and we walk with you through the covenant. And one of those places in the covenant, it actually says this. We further engage to watch over one another in brotherly love and to remember one another in prayer. By the way, if you're a covenant member of Sheridan Hills Baptist Church, you signed your name to that, that you would do that. So my question to you would be this, are you doing it? Well, you see, God, don't turn the page over because you're missing the bottom blank, I think. God desires for us to live in community and to pray for one another. Now, I put a long passage of Scripture there on your paper. I didn't put the words, but I do have the words on the screen, and I want you to note what James 5, 13 through 18 says. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And if, and sorry, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, listen to this, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. 
The prayer of a righteous man has great power as it is working. And then he gives us an example. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months it didn't rain on the earth. And then he prayed again. And heaven gave rain. And the earth bore its fruit. I take you back to verse 16 because verse 16 is very important because it reminds us that we are to pray for one another. We're to confess our sins to one another, to help one another, to live in community. And friends, that is very important. Compassionate prayer flows from concern. And lastly, I want you to see this. Compassionate prayer knows the seriousness of sin. In verses 16 through and 17, and I actually underlined it on your paper, sin is mentioned five times. John is really zeroing in on sin. But also... I didn't underline this, but I would encourage you in verses 16 and 17, circle the number of times you see the word death. Death is mentioned there four times. So listen, sin affects every level of human existence. From our relationship with the Lord, with God, to our relationship with others, to even our relationship with the world or with creation. And we know from Scripture that the effects of sin are clearly stated in Scripture. Number one, in sin, Scripture tells us that there is no peace with God. Look at Isaiah 57, verses 20 and 21. And the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet. And its waters toss up mire and dirt. Listen, verse 21. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. In sin, there is no peace with God. But also, sin, we know, causes a separation between us and God. Isaiah 59 Many times we just quote 59 verse 2, but look at verse 1 as well. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor is ear dull that he cannot hear. Verse 2, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. The separation is clear. And number 3, death is the return for sin. Many of you know this verse, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Right? We go to work and we, we work a job and we expect wages in return. Well, the wages for sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So death is the return for sin. 
But friends, there's one last thing that I want to point out to you here about sin and about the seriousness of sin. And really, it's all based right here out of 1 John. Most of it's based out of the passages that we're looking at today, verses 13 through 17. But I did throw in 1 John 1, 9 because 1 John 1, 9 also speaks to this fact as well. So principles, the principles about sin from 1 John are clear. Number one, we should talk to God about our sin and sin in the lives of brothers. Did you know what's not stated there? We shouldn't talk to our brothers about sin. No, that's gossip. Here, we're called to take our sin to the Lord. We're told to take it to the Lord. So we should talk to God about our own sin, and we should talk to God about if we see our brother in sin. Verse 16 says, If anyone sees his brother in sin, his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, what should he do? He should ask, and God will give him life. Ask who? Well, ask the Lord. But number two, the truth is that God is the only one who can forgive sin and give life. Right? Verse 16 tells us that God will give life. And this is where 1 John 1 9 drives this home. 1 John 1 9 is there on your paper. It says this if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's God. And God alone who forgives sin and gives new life. The third point, there is a sin that leads to death. And there is a sin that does not lead to death. Now what I would note for you is this. A lot of people jump into the weeds in this part. And they go, what does this mean? What is, what is John saying here? Sin that leads to death, what is that? Well, friends, I don't have the time to dive into that. Again, I'm trying to say the four pages, not five, six, seven, eight, maybe. But what I want you to note is this. The Bible is clear that it states that there is a sin that leads to death, and there is a sin that does not lead to death. But I also want you to think about this. It's not for us to so much jump in the weeds, even though we should try to figure it out and understand what is being stated here. But I think John is being very careful under the direction of the Holy Spirit not to give us qualities or, or give us certain standards to say, okay, now we're talking about these sins that lead to death and these sins that don't lead to death. Because you guys know how we are, right? Oh, if we find out one, we think one is not so bad and the other is better, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll try to figure our way out, right? To figure out which way we can be and, and what sin we could do, what sin we couldn't do. But I think under the direction of the Holy Spirit, John is being very broad here. But he does want us to note there's a sin that leads to death. And let me just state, we know that eternal separation from God is when one rejects the gift 
of grace that God has provided for us in Jesus and condemnation of hell. But the last point I want you to see is this. Point number four. All wrongdoing is sin. John couldn't be any more clear. That's one of the things I appreciate about the book of 1 John. We love to live in this gray area, right? And try to, try to just stay in this gray area. But John really lays it out. He says either you're this way or you're this way. And John makes some very clear statements. And here he makes one very clear statement about sin. And he says all wrongdoing is sin. It is rebellion against God. And one thing we know for sure when we think about sin is that we should avoid sin at all cost. And so, friends, I have some application questions to ask you as we think about this one text. The first question is this. Do your prayers seem as though no one hears? Do you often feel like, man, I'm praying, but I'm not confident that God is hearing my prayer? Or I'm praying, but I don't know exactly, you know, I'm just voicing this prayer, but I don't know exactly what God's will is and what God desires. Two things I would encourage you to do. One, search your heart to see if there may be sin in you that's causing the separation between you and God. That's causing him to, to not hear, him to feel distant, as we saw in Isaiah 59 too. But secondly, I would say, search the Scriptures. Spend time in God's Word. Learn from God's Word. What is God's revealed will? And pray it. That's one of the reasons why praying Scripture back to God is a great thing. A great practice Just pray Scripture back to Him. Some other questions here, application questions. Number two, are you in right standing with God? We began this whole thing by confidence in prayer is founded in a right relationship with God. Well, are you in a right relationship with God? Have you... Confess your sin to the Lord. Turn from your sin and acknowledge His Lordship in your life. Question number three. Do you seek to know the will of God? You know, there's this fascination some people have with, oh, I wonder what the will of the Lord is. What is the will of the Lord for my life? Well, God has revealed some very clear truths about His will. And they're found in God's Word. And as we seek to know what God's will is, His revealed will, the truth is if we walk in His revealed will, we will be doing His will. You understand? So it's not some mystery to be discovered. It's something that's been revealed for us to know from His Word. Next question says this. 
Have you addressed your sin? Friends, John points out here the seriousness of sin. And oftentimes we make light of our sin. And that's the reason why I put the effects of sin are clearly stated. And the principles that we see here out of 1 John. I want you to be clear and know that sin is not something that we just play around with. Sin is not something that we turn a blind eye to. Sin is something to be addressed. Sin is something to be confessed to the Lord, to agree with God about our sin. And Scripture says God is faithful. God is faithful. And God will forgive you of sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness when you confess it to Him. The last question I would ask is this. Friends, are you praying for other believers? What does your prayer life look like? Is your prayer life self-centered? Where you're focusing only on yourself? Or are you in community with others and you hear about other prayer needs and other concerns and so you pray for others out of concern for their life? Or maybe you pray for others out of concern for their sin. I praise God for a covenant community like ours. And I praise God for opportunities that we have where we take specific time on Tuesdays and Fridays when the pastors come together and we talk about needs within the church and we pray. But my question to you is this. Are you praying for other believers. If you sign the church covenant, you committed yourself to do so. And might I say with more force, if you're following what Scripture has laid out for us, you will do so. So friends, I encourage you in prayer that you would have confidence in prayer, in your prayer that you would be compassionate in your prayer, Confidence as you approach and petition the Lord. Compassion as you intercede for others. And may God transform and continue to transform our community we call Sheridan Hills Baptist Church. And mold us and to shape us into being more like Him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank You for Your Word. Thank you for 1 John 5 and how you've clearly laid out for us that we can have assurance of salvation. But Lord, also we can have confidence in praying and we can pray compassionately. And Lord, I pray that as we have heard your word, as we think about these application questions and really examine ourselves, that Lord, that we would become more like you growing in maturity and faith. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.